Father, we're just delighted that we can be in your presence and we can give you praise and adoration as we explore your word and unpack the power of it. I pray that you will continue to allow us to speak to you and you to us as we not only give you praise and adoration, we give you our attention to the things you want to teach us this day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Dave, thank you very much. Yesterday, Dave and I and a couple of us here had the opportunity. Our denomination, the Christian Missionary Alliance, is divided up into districts. There are 27 districts, 28 districts. Western PA is one of those districts. You take the state of Pennsylvania, divide it in half. This side is Altoona. The other side is State College. This is Western PA. And each district has a superintendent, somebody that it's my boss. Now, I have a lot of bosses, but there's another one. And yesterday was his installation service in Grove City, PA, and Dave was on the worship team with Pam, and I was standing behind the pastor's family from the Grove City Alliance Church, and their two-and-a-half-year-old was sitting in mom's arms, and we were singing one of those songs just like that, and she was just going like this and singing. And I thought, out of the mouths of babes, two-year-old, get it. I hope you do as well. We are unbelievably blessed. Happy New Year's. Good to see you. Where you been? Oh, were you here? You've been here? All right. We're delighted that you're here. I, I've not been for the last couple of weeks. I couldn't miss Christmas Sunday for anything. It's an important day in, in my life. You don't may care, but uh, I start today, I start my 40th year in ministry, and it's just amazing. Uh, next year, no, wait till next year. Wait till next year when I complete the 40th year. That'll be the big one kind of a deal, but it's just hard to believe. Now, some of you are saying, boy, you are old as dirt. I mean, 40 years, I wasn't even born 40. It was like the 1990s or, you know, the... Whatever, I'm, I'm old, but I'm really excited about all that God has done, and uh, I trust you had an incredible Christmas and New Year's. We had the opportunity to celebrate with our family. Our kids came, and the grandkids came, and they gave us the gifts that keeps on giving as uh, we all got sick a little bit over that, but we're delighted that we're here and that you are as well. I want to again thank our volunteers who work so unbelievably hard in our Christmas Eve and Christmas services. I mean, there's no way to fully express the gratitude that goes with that and the amount of hours that went with it. I couldn't wait to come to Sunday morning. I wanted to hear Joe because he is really unbelievably gifted by God to speak, but I couldn't sleep. It was just so unbelievably exciting to be here and to be a part of all of that with what Dave and the worship team and the strings and the band and everybody did. The tech team that sometimes we forget, they sit back there in that little dark hole and you don't realize what they do, but they put in more time and energy sometimes than many of us. So I'm just so grateful for the amount of volunteers that we have here and, and how that night went. Almost 3,000 people were on our campus that weekend or that night. First service was obviously the largest, so if you invited family or friends and they didn't have a place to sit, we're so unbelievably sorry. And uh, we trust that you continue to invite people to our fellowship together. If you're returning, you were here on Christmas weekend and you saw some of the things that God is doing here and you came back just to kind of check us out, we're honored to have you. We're so thrilled that you're here. If there's anything we can do for you, please let us know. Let us know who you are. Let us know you're checking us out or checking out a church or looking for a church. We want to help you in that. There is uh, cards that you can fill out somewhere around you and give us some information about that, but we would love to help you connect in some way or the other. You may have heard, and I know we shared with you last Sunday morning a little bit, but on that particular night, Christmas Eve, we wanted to bless a ministry in our community, a winter relief program, and we tied it into the Christmas story of a couple, Mary and Joseph, trying to find a place to stay. And uh, the winter relief program, we did some research and found out their budget was around $11,300-ish per month to run it. 
So we were hoping that we could provide a lot of money toward that. Believe it or not, that night in cash alone, we got $11,300. And it was just amazing is how God put those together. Now, it's one thing to give, and we're so thrilled that you did that, but it's another thing to do. And they could use some help. If you got last night's Butler Eagle, great opportunity for you to read that story and read about it. I just thought it was fascinating that I'm talking about it today and they're in the Eagle last night with a real long story about what they do and how God's blessed them. And Bill wrote us a letter saying we've never in our lives gotten a, a, a check that big to support us and we're thrilled to participate. But you can go and help, you can go and food prep, clean up after everything is over in the evenings, work there maybe 8 to 12 and somebody else from 12 to 8 in the morning just to help them out and minister to those folks and and help them out. So just a lot of ways beyond giving to be able to impact other people. And we would love for you to be able to do that. Now, next Sunday morning, we're also going to partner with another local ministry. There are over 325,000 abortions a year in the country. And we've been partnering over the last number of months with Life Choices, last number of years with Life Choices, a ministry for, for moms, for ladies who are trying to figure out what to do, what steps can I take. And you're going to hear a great story next Sunday morning of not only just simply giving, but actually being there. And uh, we'd love to have you help us out. We do that baby bottle campaign, and, and you'll hear a lot about that next week. I'm sure you're already aware of this, but we live in really uncertain times. Now, eight years ago, we were hoping for change. And the motto was hope and change. And there were a lot of things that changed, positively and negatively. And then when the election rolled around this year, coming up and all the hype that went with that, we were again hoping for some change and some things that were going on. A lot of people are happy and others weren't, and I certainly understand both sides of that dynamic. But we were hoping things would get better or our nation would get better or the world would get better. And then all of a sudden you look at all the events that began to take place over the last number of years and even all the way up till Friday and this morning in Jerusalem. It is a very uncertain time in which we live. I mean, think back to the Boston Marathon bombing and San Bernardino shootings, Orlando and Paris, and on Friday in the Fort Lauderdale airport. And this morning I heard from somebody between services of another truck that went through a crowded area in the city of Jerusalem. And we look at all of these events and we think, why and how? Car bombings in Istanbul and dozens of other places in Iraq and Afghanistan, police shootings. These guys, these women are to protect and serve, and I wonder sometimes who's protecting them. I mean, this week we lost a, a Pennsylvania State police officer, young, excited about life, young family, and just, uh, just wanting to serve and protect, and lost his life. I hope you pray for these men and women. They're out there to serve and protect, and they never know what's going to happen. And they never know when the next turn is going to be tragic. And they're just trying to do their job and help people. And you look at all these situations and you're thinking, my lands, where is it going to be next? Now, you've got one of two responses to all of that. One is you're looking over your shoulder all the time saying, wow, what's going to happen next? Is it going to be here? Is it going to be there? Am I going to be in it? Am I going to be around it? Will I have family and friends affected by it in some way or the other? Now you never know where it's going to be. We kind of always thought it was somewhere out there in Paris or in in Middle East. We always knew something was going to happen in the Middle East. We always knew that was a volatile area where somebody's just waiting to light a match and it's going to explode. But over the last number of years, it's so unpredictable. And so you can have that extreme of always looking over your shoulder, wondering, is it going to happen here? Is it going to happen now? When's it going to take place? Now, the other extreme is we ignore it. 
It happens so often we become numb to it. And we don't think, well, it's over there, it's somewhere else, it won't happen here, it's never going to happen around this area. Churches were preparing on Christmas Eve because they heard they were soft targets for what was going to take place and they thought about it but didn't do a whole lot about it one way or the other. And sometimes we almost ignore it. I got up on Saturday morning, as I many times do, and I pull out my iPad because I read a lot of news, and I went to the USA Today because I wanted to find more information about what happened in Fort Lauderdale, and I literally went back two screenfuls of information on USA Today before I ever got to what happened on, in Fort Lauderdale. And I thought it's just one of those evidences that we're so used to it. It happens so often, we don't even think about it, and we pass it on, waiting for the next event to take place, and then all of a sudden it does. One stark reminder that continued to stand out to me on Friday, and, and every time I think about this, and even as I wrote the sermon, I didn't think about it until yesterday and this morning when I woke up, and that stark reminder is that every single one of us need to be ready to see Almighty God. Because we really don't know when it's going to be and where it's going to be, and will we be that person? We don't want to think about it. We certainly want to prepare for it. We want to make sure that we understand what's going on around us and situational awareness. But one of the things that really stood out to me like a neon sign is, folks, I need to remind you that stark reality of all of this is we need to be ready to stand before Almighty God. And know our personal relationship with Jesus Christ, not that there's a God out there somewhere that I talk to every once in a while when things go bad, but a God that I've invited into my life who that if I died this moment, I'd see him face to face and I'm not worried about death. And you can't help but look at these moments and realize and recognize that really is the world in which we live. Now, I've got to be really honest with you. If you came this morning for a really light devotional and you were hoping to talk about flowers and sunshine and breath of air and all of that stuff, you're going to be really disappointed. I'll buy you a cup of coffee if you don't want to stay, and I'm, I, I get that. But you're really going to be disappointed over the next few weeks because I'll be really honest with you. We're going to return back to Ephesians chapter 6 in a moment. And Paul is saying, look, folks, I want you to be aware of what's going on around you. I want you to be ready for the battle. And if it's ever real now, it's now. And so there's no way we're going to talk about flowers and sunshine over the next few weeks. But I am going to give you some incredibly important and powerful information that really will help you in the battle that wages around us. Many said after 9-11, everything changed, and it did. It really, really did. It changed for the thousands of families. It changed for our nation, and the thousands of families were affected by that horrible tragedy. But even when everything from mass shootings and bombings and terrorism to domestic violence has existed for a long time. Shortly after 9-11, news anchor Dan Rather made a statement saying, no one knows where this kind of evil comes from. I wanted to call him up and say, I do. I really do. Matter of fact, I know somebody even knows more than me. God does. He knows exactly where this kind of evil comes from. The governor of Florida, wonderful man, but said a similar statement the other day, and I wanted to say, look, I know where this evil comes from. We all know who come to church where this evil comes from, but so often we kind of just let it go off somewhere and don't think much about it, and then all of a sudden these things occur, and we wonder why and how and what's behind all of that. Now, an individual has to be decided or at that moment made a decision to do a horrific act, but there's something beyond that that we need to fully understand. Word of God clearly tells us that the kind of evil that we're up against and who's behind it is something that has been out there since the beginning of time. 
We just finished the Christmas season. We talked a lot about the message of that incredibly life-changing event that took place that night. We went from Luke to Matthew and talked about Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the wise men Christmas Eve. We looked at the gospel of John himself and where God entered the scene of humanity to bring us life and hope to a world that was desperate for both. And they're amazing stories, incredible stories, and every year we share them together. But it's almost as if we take all of time and narrow it down to that one event. And we look at the things that unfolded. A few months before that, obviously, as the angels showed up to Mary and Joseph, and the things even before that with Zechariah and the promises of God. But usually when we celebrate and read the Christmas story, it kind of gets narrowed down to that night and that event with Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and obviously the wise men coming two years later. And then all of a sudden, the whole thing is out of obscurity for a while until Jesus re-enters the picture at age 12 and then not again until age 30. And all of those are amazing events, but there's, a, there's another story that goes on well behind the story of that particular night. When Luke and Matthew center on this one thought and this one night and this one event, then John backs up a little bit to say, look, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that Word, God Himself, came in Emmanuel, tabernacled with us. John, the same writer, backs up even further in Revelation chapter 12 and gives us another version, a larger version, a much larger version of the events that were taking place and unfolding here on earth. If you've ever read the book of Revelation, it can get very confusing. And I've done it once in my 20-some years here, and I'm really considering it doing once again in the next couple of years. But Revelation is not like we normally think in Western society of linear from beginning to end. Start to finish, this is how it starts, this is how it ends. Revelation looks at life and time this way. From one event to the next, and this event backwards to this event, and kind of ties it all together, but it's sometimes a little bit difficult to read. But it talks in Revelation chapter 12 about a, a war that went on in heaven. A real major war that went on in heaven. Now, I'm a war aficionado. I love battles. I love to listen. I'm a, I'm a, a, a battle guy. I'm a warrior kind of guy. I, I, I'm a weapon kind of guy. But, and so when I think of war, this is what I normally think of. And this is how I usually think when it comes to thinking about war, something like this. Whoa, does that not do that to you? I mean, I watched that on my app, iPad. I couldn't wait to hear it in surround sound to know what it was like. I couldn't even fathom living in a context like that. That's Pearl Harbor. You can't even imagine what it's like as we lived in that kind of other world where we knew there was a war going on around us out there somewhere. And we knew there were some nations involved in it, and we weren't yet touched by it, so we didn't think much about it. And on a sleepy Sunday morning, all of a sudden, whoa, it came. And people lost their lives and families were changed forever. And all of a sudden the war came on our shores and we needed in some way or the other to prepare for it. That reminded me of what we see in the Word of God. Sometimes when we talk about spiritual warfare and spiritual battle and Satan against God and God against Satan and us against him and him against us and all those kind of things, we see it as something out there somewhere. Until all of a sudden, like that sleepy Sunday morning, we wake up and we realize, wow, this is in front of us. This is around us. This is everywhere. This is times we live in. In those unbelievable, obscure places. Not Istanbul and not 
in Turkey, not in the Middle East, in Fort Lauderdale, in San Bernardino, in the streets of wherever it may be. And all of a sudden, we need to get to the point of saying, okay, now it's here. We can't ignore it. We can't think it doesn't exist. Revelation writer writes this way. John, the same John who wrote the story of Jesus, writes this way on an island somewhere, trying to get a glimpse of what's taking place. And God's revealing to him some amazing things. And it's many times in story form, but he paints for us a portrait that you usually don't see described on Christmas weekend. Great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with a sun, with a moon, a star at her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. And she was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Many theologians see it as Mary. I honestly think, as, as do others, that it's the nation of Israel. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the star out of the skies and flung them into the earth, talking about the fall of Satan and the demonic host that went with it. A dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour the child the moment it was born. And again, they tie that into what Herod did with all those little ones from birth to two after they didn't find where the Christ child was. Gird birth to a son, a male child who was to rule the nations with an iron scepter. Child was snatched up to God in the throne. War broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he wasn't strong enough. He, as in Satan or the dragon, and he lost their place in heaven. That great dragon was hurled down, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Bill Yancey says, I've got to be honest with you, I've never seen that version of the Christmas story on a Christmas card, but it is a true story. That's the rest of the story of what went on that fateful night. He calls the birth of Christ the great invasion, the daring raid by the ruler of the forces of good into the universal seat of evil. We live in parallel worlds. One world consists of hills and barns and valleys and shepherds watching their flocks by night. And the other consists of angels and sinister evil forces in the whole spiritual realm. And the darkness that wages war around us. The child was born, the woman escapes, and the story continues in verse 17 like this. Then the dragon was enraged. The woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's command and hold fast to their testimony about Jesus. Behind the world in the flesh, there's an even more deadly enemy called Satan. We rarely speak of him, much less ready to take him on, but it's the front lines of the battle that we see going on around us. And most of the evil that we see comes behind that or is behind that. And we really need to prepare ourselves. Satan has moved against every work of God since the beginning of time, and we've got to be ready for battle. The churches in Revelation, seven of them that you may read about in those first few chapters, were a, a synopsis of the churches, real churches, but a, a synopsis of some of the churches going on around. Just recently, having Known what had taken place, you and I are rehearsing the story of Christmas and Easter from a vantage point of 2,000 plus years. They had just seen it happen. Some of them knew it. Some of them heard it. They knew somebody that was there. And they embraced this story and their lives were changed, but they never really were fully prepared to what was going on around them and what was going to happen to them because they embraced Christ and all the churches in there eventually at some point or the other died. Even the one that we read about here in the book of Ephesians, the church at Ephesus were passionate about God. 
they recognize that it's not just simply some story that we heard somewhere down the road, but it really did happen. I know people who were there. I know people who heard about it. And now all of a sudden, Nero and the, 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 the armies around them come in and put them on stakes and burn them alive, and, and they're looking at life, and they remember the passion, but they just simply lost the essence of their relationship with Jesus. And he says, and as he describes it, you, you started out so well, but you lost your first love. You lost that passion you once had with Jesus, and, and you often wonder what it was like for him to fully describe it. You wish you could talk to him more as they were really on fire. What did that? What happened? You just lost your first love with God and with other people. And I think, to be honest with you, this is what happened that we're talking about today in the next few weeks. Ephesians is more than a Bible study. It's a call of God for us to live a life worthy of our calling, to live up to our potential, to be everything that Christ called us to be. Now, if you're playing church and not heavily involved and really aren't that interested in spiritual things, maybe you'll avoid some of the battles. But if you're running the race set out before us and you're pursuing God with everything you've got, then you're going to be in a battle. And my responsibility as a follower of Christ and a teacher and a pastor of you is to prepare you for that battle. Near the end of Paul's ministry life, he looked to a young man and said, look, I want you to know I fought a good what? Fight. It wasn't always flowers and sunshine. Man, I fought a good fight. It was a fight. Matter of fact, Timothy, you're about to start ministry. I want you to be a really good soldier. I want you to know it's going to be tough. You need to really understand what you're up against. We're in war. We face a real enemy, Satan, whose name means to stand in the way. He stands in our way and tries to resist all that God is doing. He's a liar, constantly trying to undermine the credibility and character of God. One of the things that Satan uses to destroy the credibility and character of God is to attack one of the tools that God uses to establish that credibility, and that is the church, which is why I'm sharing with you, which is why Paul wrote it to begin with. He's not writing to non-believers. He's writing to the church. When we preach the power and redemption and love of Jesus, but the church doesn't demonstrate it, the, God, the truth of God's word gets ignored. When we preach the abundant life of Christ, but the church seems dead, people don't believe it. But when God moves and people respond to him and we want more of him and we live with excitement and joy in our life, then people can't stay away. The message and the experience have to go together. If we only preach love and redemption and grace and never demonstrate it, it's meaningless. And if we only talk about love and never really understand the truth, it loses its essence. Both have to go together. There are people without Jesus that demonstrate love all the time. But there's nothing underneath that. There's nothing to hold it together. Message and experience have to connect. And when that happens, we get a church so on fire for God, so passionate about serving Him, we're going to face some battles, absolutely. But when it becomes reality, where all that we know about God is lived out every day of our life, we won't be able to accommodate all the people that want to come and be a part of that. But Satan doesn't want that to happen. He wants us to be so disconnected from God and one another that he won't do that. Uh, in the, the last three or four days of Jesus' official ministry on earth, before he went to the cross, he prayed with his disciples and said, 
God, I, I pray they stay together, the, these group of guys, and then there's a lot of people that are going to come to faith because of them and their influence, and, and I really pray they stay together. Of all the things that Jesus could have prayed for, he prayed for that. What's the one thing you think Satan's going to try to destroy? Paul says, look, I, I want to be really honest with you. You've got to get rid of all the bitterness and strife and gossip and anger and slander out of your life. You've got to be aware of his schemes. We can't allow that stuff to remain in the body of believers because we've given the enemy a foothold. We need to know who we are and we need to understand who Christ is and what he's done for us. We need to remember what he did for us on the cross. And we also need to be fully aware that Satan's going to come at us when we commit our lives to Christ and determine to be passionately in love with him with everything he has which is why Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, Paul said, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Because I'm telling you, he's coming after you with everything he's got. Which is why you've got to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Everything that Paul has done, remember we started this series in August. I figured we'd be done by October. Here we are in January still in it. It's such a powerful book. Everything he's been writing is culminating in this point. When he gets to the word finally, it's not like, oh, hey, before I forget. Just one more thing, one more quick thing. I just want to remind you of this and then I'm going to quit. I'm done sharing, I'm done preaching, I'm done talking. It's not that at all. He said, look, I need you to know everything I've said in these first five and a half chapters, six and a half chapters is building up to this. It's not just the old before I forget, it's this. Remember, because of sin, we had no hope, absolutely no hope of ever seeing God when we die. It's not give it your best shot and you'll make it. It's not just make sure your good deeds outweigh your bads and you'll make it. You and I, no matter what we try to do, we're not going to make it without Christ. Your sin, my sin, way too much for God. That's why he sent his son into this world to offer us hope, forgiveness, and eternal life. That's why we celebrate Christmas. You don't just celebrate Christmas because it's a season or an event. You don't celebrate Christmas just because everything's decorated and it looks so beautiful and we sing amazing songs and we get to give gifts and we decorate our house and family comes over and we get a gift and they get a gift and all God's children get a gift. And so it's a good time. We celebrated Christmas. Did you celebrate Christmas? Yeah, we all got together. We gave gifts, ate food. House was decorated. It looks amazing. And I can't even imagine how dull this place is going to look next week. That's not why we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate Christmas because without him, we had no hope of ever getting through this life and ever getting into the next one. Right? That's why we celebrate Christmas. That's why it's an amazing celebration. God himself saw the mess we were in and came and rescued us and offered us life. That's something to celebrate. Remember how we began this series with a dead plant up here? I know you can't remember what happened three weeks ago, but we started this series with a dead plant up here, and I said, look, you need to know that's who we are. Because of our sin, we're dead. It's not like pour a little water on it, give us a miracle grow, and it'll grow. It'll be like the flowers in the Rose Bowl parade. Not at all. It's dead, man. And God in his amazing grace offered you life. That's something to celebrate. So that's why in Ephesians chapter 1 and all the verses are going to be on the screen. Paul said, I pray, oh, how I pray, that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened and that you understand that. That you were dead in Christ, no hope at all, and God came and rescued you and redeemed you. I pray that that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened in order that you can may fully know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in God's people. 
and his incomparable great power to us who believe. I need you to remember it's by grace that you've been saved, through faith, not of yourselves, nothing you did. It is a gift from God, not of your works, so you can say, look what I did. He did it. You also need to remember you're God's masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. Creating Christ Jesus to do good works, he prepared in advance for you to do. He continued to pray, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that somehow Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray, I really pray that you are rooted and established in love and you have power together with all of God's people to fully grasp and understand how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that love, not just to hear about it, know it's out there somewhere, but to know that love, to experience that love, which is beyond comprehension or surpasses knowledge, so that you can be filled fully with the measure of God. But be very careful, he said in verse chapter 5. How you live, not as unaware, but as wise. Better make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. 2,000 years ago he said that. So quit trying to run your own life. Let him take over. Quit trying to live the Christian life on your own power. Surrender to the power of the Spirit. And when you do, it will have a powerful effect on your worship and your marriage and your home and your workplace. I'm telling you all of this so that you'll understand that you need to be in the midst of all of that to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. I told you all this stuff in chapter 4 and 5 you've got to get rid of. The lies, the envy, the anger, the rage, the greed, the obscenities, the immorality. Now I'm telling you what to put on. Get rid of all this junk. Put on the full armor of God. Why? So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. You see, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms that manifest themselves on earth. That, Dan, rather, is the answer to the question. Is this important? Absolutely. Every one of you who are in school or college, you remember back, and you were sitting in a class and somebody was lecturing, which is what I do on Sunday morning. I, I know you never had the opportunity to interact back and forth, and that would be the, the best model of learning. But you hear me share and you hear me lecture, and you're sitting there taking notes, and then something runs through your mind, and every once in a while somebody's brave enough to raise their hand and ask what question. Is this on the final? Is this on the test? Is this going to be on the test? Are we going to have a quiz on this? Is this on the final exam? You don't want to know what the answer is to that question? It is. And I'm telling you, you better be ready for that final exam to make sure you're ready for it. Because you don't pass this one, you're dead. And he's writing it to believers. Jesus said a long time ago, look, I want you to be really aware of what's going on around you. Don't worry about the one who can kill your body. You better worry about the one who can kill your soul. Most of us have cell phones, right? Cell phones uh, all around you, I'm sure. If all of a sudden at this very moment, and if I was a really great creative pastor, you'd get one right now. All of a sudden, at this very moment, you got a cell text. You didn't see the number. It wouldn't come up. It came up as unidentified. But it just simply said this, I'm coming for you. 
Does that make you nervous? As Saul has said, I'm coming for you. And then the next one came in and said, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but I'm coming in big bold letters for you. Make you nervous? It should. Because that's what the enemy has been saying to you and I for 2,000 years. And those of us who now know Christ as our Savior and determined to live for Him need to very clearly understand you just got a text message from the Satan himself saying, I'm coming after you. I want you to be aware of that. It may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. But I'm coming after you. And the God of the universe gave you a book, not just a text. He gave you a book and said, look, I got everything you need to be able to handle him. Take advantage of it. Over these next few weeks, we're going to talk about who are we up against, what's his purpose, how does he do it, and how we can survive. And not only just survive, but even thrive. If you honestly got that text, I got to believe you'd be nervous. But God gave you and I a book of information so that we can understand how to take him on, how to survive the battle, how to win the battle, and how to even thrive in the middle of the battle, knowing that when it's all said and done, we'll be able to stand before Almighty God and say, thank you for all the resources. It was hard. It was tough. I didn't think at times I was going to make it. But God, I could have never done it without you. Thank you for everything you gave me. The awareness of what's going on around me. The recognition when the whole world's going, what happened? And where does this evil come from? I knew. And I was ready and I was aware. And I made sure my friends knew. Because these are incredible opportunities for you and I in the midst of all of this uncertainty to say, look, I know some answers. I know what's behind that stuff and I know how to help you. When you're worried about life and looking over your shoulder all the time, I know how to help you. These are incredible opportunities for you and I to say, let me help you because I've heard the truth and I know where it comes from and I know what God has done and I know what's behind that evil. I want to share it with you. God, you're amazing. I, I'm, I'm, I'm so honestly overwhelmed year after year after year after year with the amazing resources you've given us and the truth you've granted to us so that we can understand life and its purpose. So we give you praise and glory and we look forward to what you'll teach us in this journey together. In Jesus' name. There's an Old Testament story. We're all familiar with Elijah, the guy who called down fire from heaven. An incredible story. But his follower, or his the guy that took his place is named Elisha. Incredible story. As a matter of fact, he performed more miracles than Elijah. There's a one point where he's kind of giving information about what a wicked king is doing, and it gets out, and everybody knows it's him, and so the king sends an army after him. Now, it's just Elijah, Elisha and his servant, and the whole army is after him. And one morning, the servant comes out, kind of getting coffee ready, puts some sticks together to warm up the day and get some water for the mule. And he looks up on the hillside, and all of a sudden, surrounding him is an unbelievable army. And if you've ever seen movies like that, where the army comes in with swords and chariots and, and horses and all of those things that come at him, and it's everywhere. And all of a sudden, he turns to Elisha and said, we're done. We're toast. We're doomed. Look around. We're not going to get out of this one. And Elisha looks around and said, well, I just need you to know there's more for us and against us. 
And I've often wondered what it was like for the servant to say, I don't know who you're looking at or where you're talking about, but I'm telling you, me and this mule, and we're not going to make it. And he said, Lord, would you open his eyes so that he can see? And all of a sudden, he saw the power and the angelic host of God surrounding the enemy that was against him and reminded him that greater is he who is in us than he who is against us. And there are more for us than against us. And that's the beauty of what you and I know as followers of Christ and the life that we live. That's what you and I have available to us. All God wants us to do is be aware of it and live that truth out because the battle is raging. He wants us to be ready. Please come back next Sunday. We'll see you there. Family experience, kindergarten to fifth grade, go get your kids and have a great time. If I can pray for you at all, I know Dan wants to be anointed this morning. If anybody else wants to be prayed for, if you're an elder here this morning, would you please come up here this way?